Amen. If you're thankful for the old rugged cross, say amen this morning. I love that version of that song. It is by the cross that we are made free, by his death, burial, and resurrection that we have been given eternal life, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, This morning, uh, we are starting, I'm not really starting, we're doing a message this morning on kind of a mini uh, message on the life of Barnabas. And uh, honestly, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, uh, someone that made such an impact for Christ in a huge, huge way. And uh, we're going to look at his life and his ministry. And so if you want to open up to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, and uh, we're going to be talking this morning about the power of encouragement and how it can radically change someone's life. I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment, the power of encouragement and how it can radically change someone's life or our life. But let's be honest, there is not a lot of encouragement in the world today, is there? If anything, there is a ton of discouragement, right? Maybe in your workplace, maybe in your school, maybe even in your home. Uh, There seems to be not a lot of encouragement, not a lot of, hey, you did a great job with that. It's more like, hey, you did an okay job with this, but I'm sure you could do better next time. And so I I don't know about you, but uh, when I was growing up, uh, my parents uh, were very encouraging. Um, Not always the way that maybe I would like to have been, but they were always pushing me to do something, to be something, to try harder, to work harder. And as a child, we don't always appreciate those things, do we? Uh, My stepdad was a very disciplined man and uh, was very strong in discipline. And I appreciate that so much now or more now than I did then because he taught me that you can do anything. And I love that about my, my parents, especially my stepdad, that he always told me, anything you believe you can do, you can accomplish. He said when he was growing up, he always wanted to be a doctor. He wanted to work with as a veterinarian. And his parents actually told him when he was a child, they said, well, I don't think you can do that. You're not really smart enough to do that. His parents told him, you're not smart enough to be a vet, so don't even go for that. See, that's a lot of us. Maybe you grew up in homes like that. Maybe you grew up surrounded by negativity. Listen, if you're on TV, from, watching TV for more than a few minutes or on social media, you don't got to go very far before you see something discouraging. I, I love something that, that I've seen recently is so many more people are starting to do the opposite, though. They're starting to use platforms like Facebook or, or social media to spread encouragement. It's not really part of the message, but if I can challenge you to something this week, Spend the next seven days at least, but if you really want to do something that makes a difference, go 30 days. For the next week to 30 days, only post encouraging things on social media. Only comment in encouraging ways on social media. When you're tempted to complain about somebody, a bad service that you had at a restaurant, or somebody irritated you, which happens all the time. Anybody easily irritable? Like you just get irritable really quick. Raise your hand. If you can lose your temper really quick. Okay, there's way less hands than there should be. We're going to go over into the Old Testament and look at the commandments for a second. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Let's be honest. We can all get irritable. Right? You're driving to work and somebody does something stupid and you get to work and you've just got this inner desire to do what? To tell someone about how somebody made you mad on your way to work. 
You just have to complain. It's this human nature coming out of us where somebody at a restaurant gives you bad service and they leave the table. You look at the people you're with and like, I can't believe they work here. You actually start talking about the percentage of the tip going down because of the service you get. You get online, you blast people. You see people posting on Facebook and you just blast them. I'm not saying you can't share your opinion, but wouldn't it be more effective to share encouraging, uplifting things when you have an opportunity to speak? So maybe, just maybe, the next week for some, the next seven days, maybe the next 30 days, when you have opportunity to share, share something encouraging. Lift someone up this week. You know, it's funny. If you look for negative, negative things in people, you will find negative things in people. If you look at someone's life and, and their, their character long enough, you'll find something negative about them and you'll get there pretty quick. But if you do the harder job, if you do the harder work of going deeper and looking for something to encourage them with, Look for the positive things in their character. Look for the positive things in their performance and focus on that. You will find those things as well. And I promise you that if you start focusing there in people's lives, you will be happier. You will have more joy. You will see the positive things in your life quicker than you see the negative things. Because let's be real. There's a lot of negative things in the world today. A lot of things that you look around and go, I don't agree with this. I'm there. We're there. I'm not saying you got to agree with everything. What I'm saying is, where do we choose to put our focus? If you dwell in all the negative junk of the world, it is going to pull you down. And it will give you bad day after bad day after bad day. But if you choose, by God's grace in you and the love of Christ for you that you can give to others, to look at the positive things and lift people up instead of tearing them down, I promise you it will make a difference, not just in their life, but in your life. And it will start immediately. Barnabas was a man that was gifted, truly gifted with this gift of encouragement. And my challenge just this morning is to be a Barnabas. To be a Barnabas. As we walk through some amazing verses in the book of Acts that reveal the difference that can be made when we get out of our own way and be a Barnabas. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Love this passage. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assailed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Man, what a discouragement to Paul. You read the first part of Acts chapter 9. He has this amazing encounter with Jesus Christ. And he is radically changed. He becomes a new creature, the Bible says. All things are passed away. All things have become new. As he puts his faith and trust in Christ and begins to follow him. You can read above what we read in verses 20 through 22. It talks about that Paul was just passionate about preaching Christ. He was on fire for the Lord. And he goes to the one place he's supposed to get encouragement. He's a follower of Christ, and he thinks, hey, when I get to Jerusalem, I can go hang out with the disciples. Because if anybody's going to encourage me, it's not the Jews that want to persecute me. It's the church. I mean, they know Jesus, and I know Jesus. And if anyone, they're going to be the ones that lift me up and encourage me. But he shows up, and what happens? They don't even believe him. Oh, well, we don't want to hang out with you. We don't really believe that you're really a follower of Christ. We're kind of afraid of you. Look at verse 27. There are some amazing buts in the Bible. There are some amazing buts in the Bible, and this is one of them. 
So you can tell your friends that my pastor said there are some amazing buts in the Bible. And just leave it there and see what they say. I'm quoting my pastor. Okay, verse 27. But Barnabas. You notice this? It's a distinguishing mark in the scripture. All of the disciples are afraid of Paul. We don't believe you. We don't know if you really got saved. We don't know what to do with you. But Barnabas. Do you see it? But Barnabas made a different decision than the rest. When the rest were like, I don't know, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think? I don't know, I don't trust him. I don't believe him. Could God really even save him? Could God save the greatest persecutor of the church? I mean, God is great, but could God really do that? I don't know. But Barnabas, he decided to think like Christ instead of thinking like a man. Look at what it says here. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. I'm going to ask that we would just pray get our hearts and minds on this scripture and understand and ask God, God, we want to be a Barnabas this week. We want to be a Barnabas that affects change in this world because I'm tired of just complaining about what I want to see happen in my world and I'm ready to start doing something to make a difference in my world. And so I'm going to be a Barnabas. Help me to learn from these scriptures. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we ask God and his Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us through these scriptures? Heavenly Father, Lord, I know we've already come to you in prayer multiple times, but I just, I ask that as only you can, you would give us wisdom in these things. That we would see the power of this man's life. First and foremost, thank you for recording it in your scripture. Thank you for giving it to us. That we could read it and learn from it and apply it to our lives to make a difference. And Lord, I know that in our members, that is in our flesh, there is a war that is raging. There is the spirit and there is the flesh and they're battling each other. Lord, our flesh wants to to nitpick, to discourage, to attack, to criticize. But I believe your spirit wants us to speak truth, yes, but in love. It's not that we don't ever acknowledge something is wrong. But Father, there's a right and a wrong way to speak truth. And I pray that when we are speaking truth to other people's lives, that it is cushioned, if you will, by, by, the, by the love we have for them. Lord, help us to be a Barnabas today and this week. As we have the ability to open our mouth, may we speak boldly, but Lord, as Paul prayed, the things we ought to speak. That we would give an answer for the hope that lies in us. Father, that we would let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is useful, that is good for the edifying, the building up of the one that receives it. So help us to put into practice what we're talking about today. May we not walk from this place with the same mindset, the same attitude. 
But may we walk in this place changed, thinking and feeling and believing the things of Christ. May the same mind be in us, the same attitude be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Help us, Father, to be an encourager this week, to see the difference we can make by your grace, that you would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last four weeks in our awkward series, we have been looking at the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul and all that he was used by God to accomplish in the world. We said it at length. Paul was used by God to do some great things. In most evangelical churches this morning, the majority of them will be reading from something written by the Apostle Paul. All over the world, people are opening up to Paul's letters, to Paul's writings, and preaching from them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I just talked to somebody yesterday who said, man, I've been going through the book of Romans, and it's become one of my favorite books of the New Testament. That's the power of how God used the Apostle Paul. But let me ask you a question. Where would the Apostle Paul be without a Barnabas? We read about a man Barnabas, that was the catalyst of change for Paul and the church. Barnabas stepped out and stood with Paul when the rest of the church was afraid of him, not believing him. And where would Paul be without Barnabas? Where would Paul be without a man that said, you know what? Yeah, there's some doubt here among the church, but I've heard his testimony. I've seen the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to testify with him. You think it was a little, a little sketchy for Barnabas to stand with Paul when the rest of the church was like, we don't know about this guy? You think Barnabas was putting his reputation out there a little bit? Maybe risking some of his own uh, kind of well-being in the church, that what they thought of him, his testimony? Listen, when you start encouraging people around you that other people don't want to give a second chance to, they're going to talk about you too. Oh, come on, why are you giving them? You don't, do you know what they did? Be careful there, because that's what the Pharisees thought about the woman that came and washed Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, hey, you guys need to be quiet. She's doing more than you've ever done for me. We've got to be so careful that we don't become a Pharisee, but we'd rather be a Barnabas. I want to walk through some scriptures this morning, so thank you for bringing your Bibles with you. Uh, We're going to go over to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to kind of walk through the life of Barnabas this morning and see how God used him in a tremendous way to change the life of the apostle Paul, who in turn was used by God to change the world. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. Acts 4 and verse 36. First thing we need to ask is, who was Barnabas? Who was he? Well, it's obvious in these scriptures that he was a follower of Christ. Look at verse 36 of Acts 4. It says here, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. So this is kind of his identifying verse. Listen to verse 37, though. Having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the first encounter we have with Barnabas. This is the first moment we meet him on the pages of the book of Acts. Here we read of Barnabas, who was a Levite, being involved in the early church, and that he was willing to sell his own property and give it to the apostles. Can I just stop for a moment? I am always amazed when we read about the early church and their willingness as a follower of Christ to surrender everything to what Jesus needed them to do, wanted them to do for the church. There was an understanding of surrender among the followers of Christ. 
And I think sometimes we read verses like that and we think, oh, that's so great that they did that back then. You guys know where I'm going with this? I'm so glad the early church did that back then. Man, that's so great they did that back then. I really respect them for doing that back then. As though somehow we're not called to the same surrender as disciples today. As though somehow we, as modern Christians in America today, we don't have to worry about giving up every. God would never call me to give up everything I own. I mean, doesn't he know how hard I work for this? Doesn't he know I need that four-bedroom home, three-bath, two cars, boat, cabin? Doesn't he know I need those things? He would never call me to give those up. Here's the thing. He may never call you to surrender all those things or whatever you have. But if he does, would you do it? That's the question I have to ask myself. If he called me to give up everything, would I even consider doing it? Or is it such a foreign thought to my American brain, I wouldn't even consider it? We read very little about this man, Barnabas. But I tell you, we read enough, don't we? We can see enough in just two verses to know he was a follower of Christ. Do you know what's interesting is the next thing we're going to read in chapter 5 is about two people. Who's the next couple we're going to meet in chapter 5? Some of your Bibles have headings over chapter 5. Who is it? Someone tell me. Ananias and Sapphira. What did they do? They decided, well, we're going to sell part of our land or we're going to sell this property, we're going to hold back some of the money we made, go to the church and say, here's all the money we made selling that property. It didn't work out well from them, for them in the sense of it was like, oh, really? Death. I'm paraphrasing. There's a lot more in there than just, oh, really? Death, okay? That's how I read it. Do you know what caused them to want to sin this way against the Holy Spirit? They saw the surrender of Barnabas. I don't think it's a coincidence that Barnabas does this and then the very next thing we read is about how these other people tried to pull off the same gift. See, Barnabas was causing change and a catalyst of change in the early church. He didn't write any gospels or any letters in the early church. He falls into the background. In fact, once the apostle Paul really starts moving in Acts 13... And he begins to go by the Apostle Paul instead of Saul. Every time you read of Paul and Barnabas after that, Barnabas is always second to Paul. Up until then, Barnabas is mentioned before Paul when he's called Saul. After Acts 13, about halfway through that chapter, Paul all of a sudden becomes the number one figure. Barnabas falls to the background. And he's mentioned after Paul. But I can tell you this, there would never have been an Apostle Paul without a Barnabas to to push him forward, to encourage him, and to stand with him. And I'm telling you, if we want to see change in this world, real change, change for the cause of Christ that sees people becoming disciples and followers of Christ, it is obvious to us we must be a Barnabas. We must go and stand with those that nobody wants to give a chance to. We must put our armor on them and say, no, no, listen, I'll go with you. Do you know the power in going to someone and saying, I believe in you so much, I'll go stand with you? Man, that changes people. That gives people this desire to say, man, maybe I can do what God is calling me to do. You know someone that's struggling because they sinned in some way in the past, and they feel like somehow that's completely made them unusable by God. And then you go to them and you say, man, listen. Oh, man. 
You told me you repented of those things, that you trusted Christ and you know him as your Savior. And God's calling you to do this thing. Yeah, I really believe it, but I don't think I can. That's okay. God can do it through you. Let's go do it together. And that's a Barnabas. So let me ask you, if you had to pick two people to, to help you in a situation, is it the one that says something like that or the one that says, well, I mean, I'll go with you, but I don't really know if you can do what God's calling you to do. I mean, you're not really gifted in that area like I think you should be. I don't know. I mean, we'll go, but I don't really expect a whole lot. Woo! That's who I want on my team, right? Think about athletics. Do you want the guy on your team that's like, hey, we'll give a good effort, but I don't think we're going to win before you get out of the locker room? I mean, we'll go play the game, but I don't have any high hopes of what's going to happen next. We're probably going to get destroyed. Wow. Let me see if I can pick myself up after that encouragement. Way to fire us up, coach, right? I mean, come on. We understand this. And here, this man, Barnabas, was an avid follower of Christ to the point that he surrendered everything he had and gave it to the apostles because there was a need. He just was willing to do whatever God called him to do. It is obvious, while we do not read of his conversion, that Barnabas came to know Christ and was committed to him. We're going to read it in just a little bit there, but Acts 11.24, we're going to get there in a little bit. But Acts 11.24 tells us that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. You see, he was a follower of Christ. So let me just take a second to ask this question. Don't answer out loud, but are you a follower of Christ? I want you to think about that. Are you a follower of Christ? And you might say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. I prayed that prayer when I was a kid. And I'm so thankful that if you really surrendered your life to Christ and asked him into your life and surrendered yourself to him and repented of your sins and turned to him, I'm so thankful that you know Christ is your Savior. But I'm telling you right now, if you just prayed a prayer to pray a prayer, if you think being in this church today somehow gets you merit or favor with God, if you think doing good things and being a good person somehow gets you merit with God, that somehow God's going to look at all the good works you've done and say, okay, I'll let you into heaven because you've done enough to outbalance the bad, to outweigh the bad. You've done enough good. Okay, you're, you're good. There's more good over here than there is bad. It's not how it works. It's so clear in Scripture that you must know Christ as your Savior. And I believe that as a Christian, we are followers of Christ. Some people say, well, I can, you can be a Christian and not be a follower of Christ. I don't see that in this book. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where you have Christians who aren't followers of Christ. You might have Christians who struggle for a season, but in time, God brings conviction, brings a form of discipline, which we've been studying in Hebrews. And that person repents of those things and turns back to Christ. So I believe that could happen for a season. But I don't believe that I can be a, a Christian, a, a believer, and say, okay, God, I believe in you. I believe you died from the cross. I receive your salvation, but I'd like to keep my life just as it is. Thanks. I want to keep it just how I want it. I'll give you Sunday morning. I'll even throw in a Sunday night every now and then. Hey, maybe even a Wednesday a couple times a year. But the rest of my life is mine. But hey, thanks for saving me for all eternity from the pits of hell. Good looking out. Is that really what Christianity in the New Testament is? I'll give you a Sunday morning. Do you know what the average right now in America today, consistent or faithful church attendance in America today is one to two Sundays a month. 
Think about that. For American Christians, faithful church attendance is defined as one to two Sundays a month. This is not the world. This is not the unchurched. These are supposed followers of Christ that are saying, I'll give you one or two Sundays a month if we're not doing something else on that day. Is that Barnabas? I mean, is that what we read here? Is that what Barnabas was? You know, Jesus, I'd sell all my property and give it to the apostles, but I want a place to retire, you know. No, he said, hey, listen, whatever I have is the Lord's, and if the Lord needs it, he'll give it to him. And again, I'm not saying you can't have nice things, you can't go on vacation, you can't do this, you can't do that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is if God asked you or led you to surrender what you have, little or all, would you do it? And that's all I'm asking. If you say, yes, I believe I would, then amen. Then keep moving forward. Keep serving him. He may never ask you to do it. But if he does, I don't know about you, I battle with that. I would love to stand here and tell you that, yeah, I'd give it up in a heartbeat. But honestly, there's a part of me that isn't so sure I would. But I'm so thankful that his grace and his love and his mercy is for me, even when I have those momentary doubts. I'm so thankful that when I don't have perfect faith, when I'm not living in a complete faithfulness and trust to him, that he is still faithful and trustworthy, that I can put my hope in him. Man, Barnabas was a follower of Christ. And I'm camping on this because of this. Everything we read after this, Every encouraging thing he did, every positive thing he did, every difference he made is only because he was based in Christ. People say today, well, just be a positive thinker. Be positive in your thinking. Then that sounds really good, and Oprah's made a lot of money saying stuff like that. But I'm going to tell you right now, you want to make a real difference? Then be a follower of Christ. And allow his example to live through you as you look out into how you can be a difference maker in someone else. You see, he was a follower of Christ, but also he was an encourager. His name was actually Joseph, or Joseph. The disciples are the ones that called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement or son of consolation. His life and ministry reflected a desire to encourage others in Christ so evidently So evidently, the disciples changed his name. Think about that. His name is Joseph. But the disciples saw such a fruit in him of encouraging others, they said, man, this guy is a son of encouragement. The son of consolation. He was so willing to come alongside other people. So let me ask you a question. How have you experienced the power of encouragement in your life? How have you experienced someone making an impact in your life? When they encouraged you, lifted you up, or stood with you. When you felt led or called to do something. And someone just came alongside and just was there with you. And supported you. And was just the biggest cheerleader for you. And believed in you. And was just encouraging to you. What kind of difference did that make? Let me ask this way. How many times have you experienced a blessing? Because you were able to come alongside someone and encourage them and support them. And I don't know what you, it's made a huge difference in my ministry, in my life. So how have you seen someone come along and you, maybe you're struggling with, as a parent, and you're like, I just I got this thing figured out, man. None of us do. 
There's no book. There's tons of books, but no good books on what to do. It's just as, you, as you're working as a parent and you're loving on your kids and you're like, I don't want to mess these kids up. <laughs> I tell my kids, I'm like, look, let's just get it out of the way now. When you're in therapy in 25 years, I'll sign off anything. I'll sign, let, me, let me sign that now. Okay, yeah, there you go. We're good to go. And another parents, maybe who's been there and done that, just come alongside you and just say, oh, man, you got this thing. You're, you're doing all right. You're doing all right. You're going to be fine. How can I help you? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? Man, what a difference that makes, doesn't it? Rather some of the other garbage you get on, and you get on social media or you read articles and people are just ripping parents for this and ripping parents for that. Nowadays, you do nothing right, apparently, as a parent. Everything is wrong. I gave my baby formula. <gasps> you what? I let my kid go outside without a bike coming on. <gasps> this is everywhere. It's all this negative, critical junk. Listen, you're entitled to your opinion, but, man, sometimes for the CD, okay, now, sometimes we just got to come alongside and say, listen, they don't have to do it just like you, by the way, for you to encourage them on how to do it. Sometimes it's just like, hey, if they ask you your opinion, you give it. This is how I did it. But listen, I'm not perfect. But sometimes it's just sitting with a parent that's just wiped over coffee and just saying, man, I, I'm so sorry you're going through this, but trust me, you're going to get through this. You don't need to give them the seven-step plan of how you did it. If they ask, great. But if not, sometimes it's just important to just to sit with them. Just encourage them. Barnabas was an encourager. We've all seen the power of encouragement in our lives. Let me ask a question. You know, I've got to give examples, but I'm just going to raise your hand. Anyone here ever felt led of God to do something, felt you weren't good enough, but because somebody came alongside you or encouraged you or somehow spoke encouragement into your life, you stepped out, you took the risk, and you did it, and you're happy you did? Raise your hand. Man, we all need it. We all need someone. And here's the thing. Maybe you're being called to be that someone for someone else right now. It's because God wants you to stop focusing on your junk and get your eyes on someone else's issue and go, oh, man, I can help them. And as you're helping them, guess what? Your stuff doesn't seem so huge. He was an encourager. I love what one author said about Barnabas. Listen to this. There is much we do not know about Joseph Barnabas, but this we do know. He was a spirit-filled man who was an encouragement to the church because he gave his all to the Lord. Not every believer can be like Peter and John, but we can all be like Barnabas and have a ministry of encouragement. So what did he do? Well, we read in Acts chapter 9, he stood with Paul when no one else would. But go over to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And we're going to be in verse 22. Acts chapter 11. What did Barnabas do? We know who he was. We know what his personality was like, his character was like. But what did he do? Look at verse 22. Acts chapter 11. Then tidings of these things came unto uh, the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And you have to read before verse 22. It's all about the way God was moving in the Gentile world. And how people were coming to know Christ and seeing God do great things. And the church of Jerusalem was hearing about this. Remember Acts chapter uh, seven ends with the stoning or the, the martyrdom of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Acts chapter 8 opens up with the spreading out of the Christians. 
that because the persecution was so great at Jerusalem that all these disciples, all these Christians left Jerusalem and they went out into Judea and Samaria and started traveling throughout the world doing what Acts 1-8 talked about doing. But it says there in Acts chapter 8, the disciples, the apostles, remained in Jerusalem. And so this is the group we're reading about here at the church in Jerusalem. It says, And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came, he had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all. And with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. And much people was added unto the Lord. Why? Because Barnabas was a great speaker. Because he was a charismatic speaker. Because he had great illustrations. He told funny jokes. I tried to think of a dad joke. I couldn't come up with a one. But then I realized he said corny dad jokes. I don't tell corny dad jokes, so I don't have any of those. I've got good jokes. No corny ones, though. So I couldn't really help grab there, but uh, maybe you did. But why, why was Barnabas used by God in such a great way? Let me ask this question. Why did the church at Jerusalem choose Barnabas to go? Out of all the followers of Christ, why did they choose him? Why did he go? And when he got there, why did he have the ministry that he had? Why would God use him so greatly in that area of Antioch? I truly believe because of verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And he, he relied on God's presence in his life. He relied on God's spirit filling in his life. And then he went out and he just did whatever God called him to do by faith. By the way, think about it this way. How is it Barnabas was able to go to Antioch just like that? Because he already sold everything he had. He had nothing tying him back to his property. He sold that. So now I can go whenever God leads. I'll just go. Do you see how God uses decisions in our lives like that? Because Barnabas sold his land and gave up everything, and gave it to the apostles in Acts 4, in Acts 11, he is completely free to now go do whatever God calls him to do. Put it this way, some of you, if God laid on your heart today to go to South America as a missionary, one of the biggest reasons you would be able to not be able to do that today is because you would say, well, i got to sell my house. i got to get my affairs in order. i got to do this, and i got to do that. So maybe a year or maybe two years from now I can go to the field permanently, but I can't yet. And Barnabas was free of all that. You see how sometimes God may lead us to do things that make no sense to us but make per perfect sense later? God knew exactly where Barnabas was going to be, and he allowed him to do what he did up to that point. You see, Barnabas was willing to go. He was sent to Antioch to confirm that the Gentiles are truly being saved and that they receive the same spirit as the Jews. When he saw the power of the gospel in Antioch, he was excited and glad. Did you see that? Now, one of the coolest verses in verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, not the programs, not the music ministry, not the way they dressed, not how nice their building looked. He said, no, man, when I saw the grace of God, was glad. If you're thinking, man, I don't know how to encourage anybody. If you see the grace of God in them and you see God moving in them, then be glad in that. Focus on that. He went to Antioch and he was glad. And he went without question or concern. 
Again, he was free to go because he already sold his land and was not tied down to anything that would hinder him going when the door was opened. So we have to ask the question, are we willing to just go when the door opens? Or are we consumed with our stuff? That if the Lord called, it would be difficult to let go and step away. And this is evident not just in selling everything you own and going to the mission field. This is every day. Are you willing to just step through that door when the Lord opens it and be a Barnabas? We've been talking for four weeks about sharing your faith. Four weeks about how to share the gospel, how to share your faith with your neighbor, how to share your faith with your friend or family member or coworker. And if, if I'm being honest, I had an opportunity yesterday to talk to a man at the park where we were having a family thing about Christ. The craziest thing. We went to this park. All the parks in Lapeer apparently were busy. Do you believe this? There's like 3,000 parks in Lapeer. No, not really, but there's a lot. And we were doing like a Father's Day, Mother's Day uh, celebration thing with, with Sandra, my wife Sandra, and her family. And, and, and it was great. But we're go, we go to one park. We're supposed to go to this one park. And we, they got there, and they said, oh, the pavilion's booked. Some open house. So we said, well, we'll try this park. Well, that one's, people are setting up tablecloths, so that one's booked. Well, we'll go to this other park. And we go in there, and we're under this pavilion. And there's only maybe eight tables under this pavilion. It's a smaller one. And we're setting up our stuff, and we're getting everything ready, and there's no one else in the pavilion. There's one other family on the park, like the playground. And this guy, randomly, rides his bike up to the edge of the pavilion, comes into the pavilion, and sits down, like kitty corner from where we were. For the southern people, caddy corner, if that helps, okay? <laughs> what, you guys never heard caddy corner? Anyway, so we're sitting there. And as we're cooking everything up there, this guy's sitting there. is an older gentleman, and he's sitting there. And I kind of thought, this is kind of odd. Like, if it was me, and I'm at going to a park, and I see a family setting up in a pavilion, even though they're not using all the tables, I would feel weird sitting at a table near them. I don't know them. You know, that'd be kind of just like, this is kind of awkward. And so then, as he's sitting there, he decides to open a pack of cigarettes. And he starts smoking right there. And my first reaction was, who is this guy? Like, coming over here, stinking up our pavilion. Come on. I got all frustrated. I'm going to go tell him he needs to leave. This is what I was thinking. This is the pastor of your church. So if you ever have worries about how you're living for Christ, I've probably done it, said it, and repented for it. Okay? So just so you know. And I'm like, man, I can't believe this guy. What kind of guts does this guy have coming over here, stinking up our, man. And then some more family came. And I'm thinking, okay, when other people come, he'll leave. Nope. Sat right there. Like, this guy has got some guts. And there's no joke. We just spent four weeks talking about what, how to share your faith. And in that moment, as I'm wrestling about how am I going to tell this guy he needs to leave, all of a sudden the Spirit said, or maybe you could go tell him about Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, when you have that moment of war, you guys know what I'm talking about? I know I need to say something, but man, he's going to think I'm nuts. Like, I'm the nut one, right? Like, that, like yeah, that's what he's going to think. This weird guy coming up to him talking about Jesus. That's all he needs is a Jesus freak in his life, right? And I'm not kidding you. There's about a 10, 15-minute little back and forth in my head. What am I going to say? How am I going to say it? And so we had finished eating hot dogs and stuff. And I thought, you know what? The Lord was like, maybe you should offer him some food. So I went over there and said, hey, do you want some food? Do you want something to eat? Oh, no, no, I'm good. I ate before I got here. Okay, okay, thanks. I walked away. And he said, well, that was good. Now you need to go a little farther. And the door is like just being, 
come on in, let's go. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, let me just close that for you because this is going to be weird. <laughs> His name's Daniel, and he's battling cancer. You believe this? And I got to go talk to him and share Christ with him. And, and I asked him, I said, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Receive Christ. Because we got talking about just church history and where he was from and all that. And he said, yeah. He said, oh, I've done that several times. And I thought, man, how sad is that? I said, oh, no, 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 Daniel, you don't got to do it but once. And so I had a chance to sit with this man, and, and I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but I, I was able to put my arm around him and just pray with him and pray for God to heal him of his cancer. But you know what? I almost missed it, guys. I almost missed it. And so why do I harp on stuff like this? Because, guys, God's opened doors every day in our life. And if I was so consumed with, this makes this really inconvenient for us. I don't like the smell of smoke. That's going to bother me. I could, what if I would have went over and told the guy he needed to leave? Man, I'm so thankful for God's grace. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful that when I want to screw up what God wants to do, he gives me grace and patience and wisdom to not so we need to be praying for each other and be Barnabases for each other because those doors open all the time. And we got to step through them. When opportunity comes, we can't be tied down. Barnabas wasn't tied down to his possessions. We can't be tied down to our prejudices, our judgments, our criticisms, our preconceived ideas, our convenience. When the door opens, we step through it because God is calling us to make disciples. He was willing to go, but also he was willing to serve. Look at Acts 11, 25 through 26. Look at verse 25. This is so cool. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there's just a crazy situation that happens. And all these things start to unfold. But when you look at what happens here, verse 25 is so key. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish. For what purpose? Why did he go there? He said, I went to seek Saul. I went to seek Saul. And he brings him back to Antioch. You see, Barnabas seized the opportunity to serve, to teach, and to encourage the local church in Antioch, and also realizes this would be a great way for Paul to serve. Barnabas and Paul spent one year in Antioch teaching and serving, and as a result, the church grew. And it's in this church that the Christ followers were first called Christians. Paul and Barnabas also took provision to the church in Jerusalem during a famine from those in Antioch. We read that in Acts 11, 29-30. It was after this year that the Holy Spirit calls Barnabas and Paul into a special calling in Acts chapter 13. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets, and it lists all these individuals, including Barnabas and Saul. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. 
And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, this idea of laying hands on them is the idea of the church is saying, you're going in our stead. You're going with our blessing. We're sending you out. We're putting our hands on you to signify that you represent us as followers of Christ as you go into this work. It says in verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed. Man, do you read about them going, man, do you really think we could do this? Maybe the Holy Spirit got it wrong. Maybe we're not supposed to go. No, no, no. And do you notice the church just rallied around them and encouraged them and supported them? How was the church, the followers of Christ in Antioch, so able to do that? Because they saw it demonstrated through Paul and through Barnabas. Do you know how Paul was able to be called by the Holy Spirit to go out and do his missions work? Because he was with Barnabas in Antioch. Why was he with Barnabas in Antioch? Because Barnabas made a point to say, if God is calling me here, man, this would be a great way for Paul to grow, for Paul to serve, for Paul to teach. And he went and he got Paul. I don't believe it's a coincidence that the Spirit calls Paul and Barnabas to a special calling because they were already active. Listen to me now. They were already active in the local church. It was while they were serving, while they were ministering, while they were plugged into the local church. By the way, it's the same way today. While they were serving the local church, it's in that moment that the Holy Spirit calls them to a different ministry. Some believers are waiting till the specific call before they serve and are not hearing that call. Man, God, if you just tell me your will, your will for my life, I'd go do it. I'm just waiting. So we sit on our hands. Oh, God, when you tell me to go, I'll go. You want me to go to the mission field, I'll go. Just call me there. Man, I'm not hearing anything. God's not calling me in any way. I don't believe it's a coincidence that all throughout Scripture, God calls and chooses those that are already active, already serving, already doing what God has called the church to do. See, long before the specific call, there's a general call. And that general call is to be a disciple of Christ and to make disciples of Christ. Again, some believers are waiting to the specific call before they serve and they're not hearing that call. Maybe we hear the direction from the Spirit while we're serving in the needs of the local church. So Paul was a man that was blessed by Barnabas, who was willing to go, willing to serve. And lastly, he was willing to give second chances. Acts chapter 15, last section that we're going to look at. Acts chapter 15, look at verse 36. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Again, thank you so much for bringing your Bibles with you or having it on a device that you have with you. Let me just say this as you're turning to Acts chapter 15, verse 36. If you need a Bible, we would love to give you one. Uh, You can go to the Welcome Center today and pick one up completely free of charge. No credit card number, no social security number, no nothing. We just give it to you. And uh, we want you to have the word of God in your hands so you can read these words for yourself and see the power of our God. Look at verse 36 of Acts 15. It says this, In some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Hmm. Where does Paul get this idea of going back to the churches and checking in on them and encouraging them? I believe he saw it in Barnabas. But he learned some of the things that Barnabas would do, but I don't think he learned all of the ways in which Barnabas would handle situations. Look at verse 37. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphila, 
and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them, between Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And this is a crazy moment in the relationship of Paul and Barnabas. You see, Paul and Barnabas were preparing to go on their second missionary journey, and Barnabas wanted to bring along John Mark. A little background on John Mark. John Mark, or as we know him, Mark, was Barnabas's cousin. If you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 tells us that, that Barnabas and Mark were cousins. And John Mark had went with them on their first missionary trip. However, after the first stop on the trip, Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Acts 13, 13 for notes. So get this with me. They went on a trip. They bring John Mark on the first trip. After the first stop, he bails. He leaves. Paul and Barnabas finish their trip. They get to go on a second trip. Barnabas says, hey, let's go get John Mark. We'll bring him with us. Paul says, why? He's just going to leave again. This is my own like, kind of reading into what's going on here. It's not good to take John Mark. He's no good. He'll just quit on us again. He's not reliable. He's not trustworthy. I can't depend on him. Because he messed up. Because he bailed. Because he, I, he wasn't perfect. Man, Paul is forgetting some things here, isn't he? Barnabas says, no, let's go get John Mark. He can come with us and, and it'll be a great trip. Paul says, no, we're not taking him. And they decide to split their mission endeavors. Barnabas goes and gets Mark and takes him to Cyprus. Paul gets Silas and they continue on. And here's the thing. God blesses both groups. God blesses both mission works. You see, Paul took this decision by Mark as evidence that he is not committed to the calling and he does not want to bring him along because he will just leave, basically saying Mark is not reliable. Barnabas does, in fact, the exact same thing for Mark that he did for Paul. He stood by Mark, even when no one else believed in him, as well as wants to include him in the work that God is doing. Do you see this again? No, we can't partner with Paul. We can't. Paul can't be used. He can't be trusted. Barnabas stood with him and said, no, 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 no. I believe in him. Fast forward a few years. Paul and Barnabas want to go on a trip. Let's take Mark with us. Paul's saying, no, 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 he can't be used. He's not reliable. Barnabas says, no, 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 I believe in him. I believe in him, and I'll take him, and I'll use, you got to use him to be a blessing. Isn't it amazing how quickly Paul forgot how it felt to have no one believe in you and the change that God has made in him? Paul and Barnabas decide to split ways and continue to do the work in the missions, in different missions, work in different regions. Interestingly enough, Barnabas takes Mark to Cyprus, most likely his hometown, as it was Barnabas' hometown to minister. I believe this was on purpose to allow Mark to work in a familiar field. We fast forward a few more years, and it's worth noting that after some time, Paul realizes that Mark is being used by God. You can jot it down, read it later. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. We see that Paul realizes that Mark is good for the ministry. As well as Mark goes on to write one of the four Gospels in our New Testament. Think about this for just a moment. Barnabas, through his willingness to be like Christ, 
was used to encourage one man to write 13 letters in the New Testament and to encourage another man who ends up writing one of our Gospels. You see, he wasn't focused on himself or promoting his own glory, but solely on serving and promoting the name of Christ. His life impacts us today every time we read a word written by Paul or Mark. So my challenge to us this morning is this. Will you choose today to be like Barnabas? Is God laying someone on your heart that you need to encourage and support? Some of you need to walk alongside someone to encourage them. I truly believe that Barnabas was a great example of what the Spirit of God can do in our lives as followers of Christ. When the Spirit comes alongside us, which is what the Bible says, Jesus said, I will send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the one that comes alongside you. Barnabas was a great example of not what it meant to be like Christ only, but also what it meant to be the Spirit in our lives. See, that's what it means to be Christ-like. To not look at people's mistakes and failures and screw-ups and focus on them and build cases out of them that why somebody can't be used by God. But rather look past those things and say, no, 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 I believe God if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Christ as your Savior. I believe God can use you and I will stand with you when no one else stands. I will be there with you when no one else wants to give you a second chance. And I'm telling you right now, it doesn't mean... That's where we get hung up on this. It doesn't mean that if somebody's in open sin, we go, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. No, we speak to that in love and we encourage them and we support them and we're there for them. But when somebody says, you know what, I feel God's leading me to do this or I feel God wants to do this in my life, we walk with them. We believe in them. But what if they bail? What if they burn us? What if they turn their back on us? Okay. Then you go to them and you say, listen, hey, how about this or how about that? We give them second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And they say, well, why? they don't even deserve that. That's okay. You didn't deserve grace and God gave it to you. God comes alongside you in the spirit and says, you can do this. You can do this. So be that for someone else. I'm going to ask that we bow in a word of prayer and we're going to have just a, a time of invitation. And as you bow right there where you are, simple invitation, not complex. Two questions, really. First question is, do you know Christ? As you're right there in your seats, as you're debating and evaluating, you're standing with God and you're thinking through these things, do you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? I mean, have you surrendered to him and, and given your life to him, repenting of your sins, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried in a tomb and rose again? The second question is, if you know Christ as your Savior. Second question is, are you a Barnabas? Will you be a Barnabas this week? Will you be a Barnabas in someone's life? Will you be an encourager to someone in need? And so here's what I want to do. I want you to bow right there where you are. We're going to pray. We're going to have an invitation. An invitation is just a time for you to respond to what God is doing. But if God is laying on your heart that you need to be an encourager, let's be honest, some of us here we're a little more apt to be negative. We're a little more apt maybe than others to be a little critical. Maybe when you think of a situation, you instantly think of the negative rather than the positive. It just seems to be where your mind naturally goes. We all do it, but maybe you feel like, man, I just get there so quick. I'm so critical in people and of people, I should say. So maybe you're going to come and bend a knee and say, God, I want to be a Barnabas this week. 
Maybe you, you, you're just there today and you're saying, you know what, I need to be an encourager. Because I've seen the power of what encouragement has done in my life and I want to be that for someone else. Maybe mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you want to come and pray and say, help us to be an encouragement to our children and grandchildren. To believe in them. To trust in them. To lead them. That when they mess up, yeah, there's consequences. But even in the midst of that, we're going to give grace. And we're going to believe that second chances exist. Father, as we spend this time of invitation this morning, I pray that although it's easier, it's humanly speaking natural to be critical, to be judgmental and negative of someone else. Father, some think, well, I never say those things. I mean, I think them, but I never say them. God, I know it's in our nature. I know it's the sin in me that produces that type of a mindset. But I pray that that this morning, we as a body of Christ will unite together and say, you know what, we're going to be a Barnabas. We're going to speak words of encouragement and love and support. It's not going to be fake either. We're going to mean it. So, Lord, I pray that your fruits of your spirit will be evident in us. Thank you for using Barnabas. Lord, we're in this church today because of the impact he made. Because Barnabas stood with Paul and brought him on those journeys. Paul went on his next trip, sees a woman named Lydia come to know Christ. That woman is the first European convert to Christ. Christianity begins to spread through all of Europe and ultimately the shores of America. And so, Lord, we're a product of the work of Barnabas. And so thank you for how you moved in his life. May we be used by you to encourage someone today and this week. Next 30 days, may we be encouraging when we have opportunity to speak. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you're ready to be a Barnabas, I'm going to ask you to come and bend a knee and commit. Help me to be an encourager this week, this month. I don't want to be a negative person anymore. I'm not going to be critical anymore. When I slip up and I'm critical, I ask you to forgive me, but I want to speak encouragement. Will you come? Will you come and bow a knee and say, I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be an encourager this week. Don't worry about other people. You focus on you and what God is leading you to do. Would you respond to him this morning as we sing?